When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of my podcast today is Rick Hall, CEO of Agility. I think the three key things of a, a SaaS company, of course, is you know, sales and marketing, product and engineering, right? Product and engineering is a natural tension, right? So, you know, I always say that, that if the two heads of those two groups don't kind of love each other and hate each other, then there's something wrong, right? Because product is about the idea of, of anything that I can do, big ideas, right? And engineering is about the world of the possible, right? And there's a tension built in there, right? And then sales, is the third piece of that because sales marketing is about the demands of the customer, right? And so, you know, putting the three things together in a world of what I like to think of as constructive conflict, you know, is really, really key, you know, kind of, I think that is probably one of the most important elements of success for a company. This is Rick. He's a software entrepreneur focused on the analytics market. He has led the development of over a dozen software products and taken several companies from their early stage to an eventual sale. He founded Cairn Corporation in 2018 to help organizations plan and implement intelligent products and systems. Together with his co-founders, he has defined Pathway to Intelligent Systems to guide companies on their journey. In support of this journey, they began to invest in companies that will simplify the process of building and implementing analytics programs. That has led to the purchase of Virginity in March of 2020 where Rick has taken over the CEO role as a result. Agility was an early innovator in analytics management. They are on a mission of reinventing the analytics engine room. And with that, deal with the challenges of complex architectures, which are dependent on highly skilled engineers, frequently cost millions of dollars and are not flexible to move at the pace of business. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Rick to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the world of enterprise analytics and why the millions and millions of investments under-deliver. We dig into the effects of switching to a product-led growth approach and how creating a community of fans helps drive multiple X growth with a minimal marketing budget. Last but not least, we talk about the secrets to staying resourceful and resilient for anything that's next to come. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that real value unlocks when you realize it's not about solving a user's task in isolation, but about how they effectively collaborate with the business. Secondly, how introducing a freemium model is not about giving your software away, but about creating software that users love. Thirdly, how to convince even the most stubborn C-level decision makers about the value of your product, even if they never use it. And fourthly, why to succeed in SaaS is about constantly evolving the interplay between a big vision and what people can actually achieve on a stretch goal. So hi, Rick. Thank you for being a guest on our podcast today, making the time available on your busy schedule. Thank you very much, Tan. I really appreciate the time today. Well, I mean, I was, I'm looking forward to this for a number of reasons. First of all, because I've been in the enterprise software space and analytics has always been a very important point of that whole discussion. And you're in the middle of that. I also saw that you became the CEO of Agility 
in March of this year, which was right at the start of COVID. So there's going to be some very interesting angles we can we can explore today. Yeah, absolutely. So before we start and dig into big idea behind Agility, first a little bit about you. If you would define yourself with two or three words, characterize yourself as a leader or as a person, what words would you use? Yeah, so I would I would probably say builder, coach, and citizen. Those would be the three words. And and there's an interesting kind of play between builder and coach, I think. You know, so sometimes, you know, I have this view of how I should do it. But, you know, as a leader, you really have to coach others. And that's an interesting combination. But those are the three things that probably drive me. And I think we all live in a very complex world today. So, you know, being a citizen of the, of the planet is super important to me. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah, that's an interesting combination indeed, the builder part. Yeah, well, when you're starting and you're starting on your own, course then you need to be the builder but then when you need to scale it's where the coaching part comes in but it's good to have a builder mindset i think as a leader because that's about going forward where do we go and create something that stands out so yeah talking about the company agility it's from what i kind of understood from the website it's founded around 2010 or a decade ago i'm sure when you started when you became the ceo of the company you asked the same question like what is the big idea behind this company what were the founding principles? Well, what was the founding idea? Yeah, and, and the center of the whole thing is a phrase that we would call analytics management. And ultimately, it's really, you know, everybody in today's world thinks that analytics is going to change what they're doing and make the world better. And in many cases, it will. But so often, analytic implementations have not met with the goals of the company, and they've kind of under-delivered. And so, how do you create an asset out of analytics that can be managed that can ultimately deliver value in a consistent way? So managing analytics is the kind of core idea of Agenity. Interesting, because I mean, this space has been, I mean, it's been there for decades. The first time I really got involved with this was a deal that I did 2000 or maybe 99, but it was with a company called Brio. Sure. You know, BI platform. And uh, of course, there's the Cognos of this world. And there are the, I mean, there's so many different flavors of that business objects. Like, I, it comes to mind. So, sure, how is this? Yeah. So, how is it different than, than yeah. all of that? So, first, just kind of how I came to this, which I think relates very much to this, this very question. So, I started in this space a long time ago. So, you know, kind of the late 80s, I fear to say, and started out as an engineer building database applications that ultimately were analytic applications. And so the whole world of BI and its evolution and the platforms behind it is, is where I've spent my career and, you know, kind of three previous companies before, yeah. before coming to Agenity. And if you look at the journey, there's been tremendous innovation in the core data platforms that allow you to pull the data together and calculate complex analysis massive innovation. The cloud has transformed that space even in a remarkable way. And at the other end, there's also tremendous innovation. So these BI tools. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, Brio and Cognos and business objects, and that's kind of maybe the last generation of those tools. And there's a current generation of those tools, sure. you know, so you have like Looker and you have Microsoft Power BI and others. Yeah. And they're at the end of the process of delivering value to a business users in a visualization report or et cetera. Exactly. But the logic in the middle of getting from this data calculation capability to the analytic layer is what we call the analytics engine room. And it's where all the messy work was really done. So people think AI is super sexy, and it is. But every time you talk to somebody in the AI space, they tell you they spend 80% of their time getting the data ready before they can actually do the analytics, yeah. right? So it's a really hard problem. And it's a hard problem for a whole bunch of reasons, but that's the problem that we're focused on is creating tools that allow businesses to put these two ends of the spectrum together really super effectively. And what's so challenging about the space is that on that left-hand side where you have these data platforms, it's the world of engineers. And yeah. you know, engineers have a problem and they want to go out and study the problem and build a defined path to solve the problem. 
Yeah. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have business people and business people, they need to answer questions today, right? True. And sometimes it's a question they need to answer over and over again. And so, you know, it, it, it works well with an engineered solution, but oftentimes they have to answer a question you know, immediately. And yeah. they can't go back to, you know, to technology leaders and say, you know, will you build this for me? And they'll say, yeah, six months. So take COVID as an example, right? Sure. So if you're the VP of sales of a consumer products company, and you woke up in March, and you realize that something crazy is happening with the sales of your goods, right? Restaurants yeah. are closed, everything is coming online or stores are changing. And you're trying to figure out what the heck is the impact of this going to be on sales? Yeah. Well, you can be pretty certain that the data behind how many COVID infections exist was never a data set that was engineered into your platform, right? True. And so if you go to your engineering team and say, hey, you got to take COVID infections into our analysis so that we can understand what that's doing to our sales. Well, then the engineers will say, happy to do it. Give me the data. I'll be back in six months with an answer, right? Yeah. And the business person is saying, well, you know, I got to make a decision tomorrow, right? Exactly. Otherwise, we don't exist anymore in six months. Right. So they've got a business analyst who yeah. has got to figure out how to pull that data together quickly and answer this problem. And they're often doing it in Excel, you know, the most rudimentary way possible. It's oftentimes not repeatable, but they're getting an answer to the business executives who need it, right? So what we are really doing at Agentity is creating a tool set that creates this collaboration between the engineering mindset and the analyst mindset. And these two personas are kind of the key to our business is to create an environment where they can collaboratively build analytic content, you know, calculations, share them, reuse them, and do so in more of an organic evolutionary way than something that is just going to take a long time to do. So yeah. anytime analytics are successful, you've got a collaboration between the business people and the engineers, and that intersection is the engine room, and that's where we sit. Okay, interesting. A couple of questions pop up, but the first one, what is, what is the opportunity if you get this right? Like one of the things that fascinated me around what you said earlier, analytics under-delivered. And yeah. well, we, everyone believes, of course, when you're working for an analytics company that you deliver and over-deliver with the thing yeah. you have. Maybe that's, that's like looking at it from the end-to-end -end perspective, what you just explained. So, so what is then the difference between before and after for your customers? Yeah. So, you know, kind of today, they've got this engineering world and he's got these business analysts, right? So yeah. in many of our customers, they'll have a group of maybe it's 20 or big companies, a hundred, even a couple hundred engineers, but they'll literally have thousands of people embedded all over the business who are doing, you know, analysis. And in today's world, those two groups really don't work together all that well, if we're honest mm -hmm. about it, right? Things that are repeatable get engineered well, and that's great. But, you know, kind of the process of building them is slow and painful. And the business analysts who are doing immediate stuff are completely taking things out of the engineered world and doing their own thing. So it, the result of success for us is that these two groups are able to collaborate. It shrinks the time to deliver analytic value massively and ultimately is going to deliver more consistent answers to the business, to problems that come up organically, you know, day to day. I mean, there, and there are, you know, God knows how many, you know, we calculate, you know, millions, maybe 25 million, you know, kind of potential users between these two groups. So the size of the market is, is massive if we do it well, but the key is, a successful collaboration between the engineers and the analyst, which is going to deliver higher value consistently faster for our customers. Does it give your customers competitive advantage? Does sure. It? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, if you can answer your business questions faster, better, that's great. So we have customers in all kinds of industries, but I'll yeah. take one that 
you know, the global retailer that's a customer of ours early in Agenity's life talking to, you know, kind of chief executives, they find that they have 25 different ways to measure coupons. Well, if they have 25 ways, then at least 24 of them are wrong. (laughs) And maybe the 25th, but let's just assume that one of them is right. But those 24 that are wrong are delivering ineffective insights. They're making bad decisions. They're wasting energy, right? So if you can create the right collaboration, then you're going to get the calculations right consistently and reused so that businesses make better decisions. I mean, that's the end of the game. And, you know, we have kind of one of the things that attracted me most about Agenity and why I feel so lucky to be there as the leader now is that they had, you know, through a lot of learning over many years before I came along, recognized that it wasn't going to be a top-down, you know, implementation that was going to solve this problem. It had to be organic bottoms up, that we have to create tools that these engineers and analysts actually love, and that they're going to use them and create a better business. And so the business model that we have is a freemium model, which I think is just the greatest thing that ever has happened to software. And the reason I love it so much is that you give away a product for free. Which is normally like Only if they like, yeah, yeah. Only if they like it. Do they pay for it? And in our world, they pay for a very inexpensive version first. And if they like that inexpensive version, then they'll tell others who will like it. And then they'll ultimately buy our premium version, right? And so if you can't create value for the person doing their job every day, it doesn't work. And you know that's ultimately why I think everybody is in businesses to create value. Certainly why we're in business to create value for our users. And the only way our business works is if we create that value. So it's kind of a you know fun journey to be on. Let me make a small interruption here. Rick just made an excellent remark about the mission that drives their business, which is to create solutions that will start a bottom-up movement, i.e. instead of creating software that's pushed top-down and forced upon people, they create enterprise-level solutions that users love so much that they will demand for more. Going to market with a freemium model underpins that mission and gives them all the right incentives across the business to succeed. And this is representative of a trade remarkable software companies master. They create solutions that are not only valuable, but also highly desirable. And that mindset gives them the focus and fuels a decision that ultimately will result in unstoppable momentum. You can master these traits as well, and I have two options for you to start. First, read or listen to my book The Remarkable Effect, and you can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths, and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com and see the videos where many of your peers share their experiences with our tribe and what they've come to value most. Back to the interview. I can imagine. It reminds me of the discussion I had with Jeff Jonas, who is the CEO of a company called Sensing. You might know him because they are in entity relation modeling. Yeah, yeah. And that used to be, well, he used to own a company that was sold to IBM and then he split off again from IBM. But it's typically a solution category that is, only available or accessible to to large companies. What he did is exactly the same. You can download it for free even without giving your email address, and it starts from there, completely democratizing that market. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I like that approach of of bottom-up because at the end, this is not about, this is about usage. And if, if the product is good and it's being used, then the value will come. So that brings me to another layer of the, of the conversation. Yeah, what did you do different? Maybe you've already answered that in the product to make it deliver that remarkable value. Yeah, it's a good question, right? So you know, the original Agenity had this idea of an enterprise software package and started down this road, but in the meantime, created this free tool that users could just use. And that free tool over a series of evolutions really built by like one or two engineers inside the company gained the usage of 30,000 users. 
And the decision that was made right, you know, basically the year before I came in was, hey, these people we're delivering value to. Let's go back to them with this product and expand it and build additional value. So our basic product today is called Agenity Pro, basically taking that model forward, creating a tool that users love. It's $100 a year for the product per user. So, you know, we have probably 100 years of person years of engineering in it. You know, at $100 a person, we need a lot of people to love it. And, you know, we're having really successful growth. We're growing probably, you know, 300% this year. And it's all about, you know, those individual users, again, two personas, as we like to call them, the engineer, the analytic engineer, and the analyst. Those are the people we care about. So our product people are focused every day on trying to understand what they do in their job, how their function works, what they like about our product, what they don't like about our product, and how we make it better. And sometimes it's the little things that they love. You got to find them. Takes a lot of listening, takes a lot of data analysis of how they're using our product to figure that out. So we've been lucky. You know, we have we've adopted about twelve thousand users just to this new pro product since we came into this exercise. You know, eight thousand of them are paying for the product. We're growing. You know, we're going to grow three hundred percent in the next year. Really steady adoption. And so pretty steep, pretty steep growth for a company that's been around for ten years already. So. Yeah, yeah, and that's all for this new pivot, this user freemium base, right? Yeah. So lots of lessons in the enterprise space. We're applying those lessons to getting a product right for individuals and then growing from there. So you really start, yeah, grassroots up, but typically, of course, users that have a role inside large companies. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but you know, you're going to get a user in a department, he's an analyst. Well, he doesn't have the purse strings to buy 3,000 seats, right? Which is, you know, we have some deals that are that many seats. Other users have to use the product. And then it's got to go up to some decision maker. One of my previous roles, I was the CTO of a company, right? A big retail services firm, a couple billion dollars. And it was a good experience. But I got to tell you, as a CTO, you spend half your time trying to kill the ideas that come up from the bottom, right? Because people are spending money on technology that you didn't decide on. So you naturally are not a fan. So the only way it works is if you really create value and really create a community and that community likes what you're doing and then it works its way organically up. But that's, it's so much better when you're coming to those senior leaders and you already got hundreds of people inside the firm are using the product. You're not just selling them of a vision that you can go off and achieve. You're like, well, you're just point like, ask them. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Ask them. Yeah. And and that's what our sales team does is they say, well, ask these users. If you don't like it, we understand you can go a different way. And I got to tell you, the senior leaders oftentimes start with, well, that's exactly what we'll do will go a different way, but they talk to their users and the users say, no, we want to stay here because we really like this. This is delivering value for us. So that, that's what we're trying to yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. It's an interesting approach to break with the typical rules of selling enterprise enterprise software, which is typically the big deals and it's the, the relationship that you have to have. And I mean, it's a completely different, of, different way of going there. And the bottom-up yes. approach and the product-led growth, which is, of course, yeah, I mean, what I like about product-led growth at the end is that the focus is, is completely on delivering value through the product because the product needs to sell itself. Right. I mean, talking about marketing budget, I expect it's not much. Well, it's practically nothing right now. I mean, <laughs> we, are, we are accelerating growth. So, you know, I got to tell you that our VP of sales marketing would love to have some more money and we'll eventually give it to him. But, you know, we're attracting this growth with almost no marketing budget. Uh, that's the whole and, thing about uh, it, exactly. That's a cool thing. And you know, we work on top of, I mentioned these big data platforms that have been so successful. So you, you, know, you heard about Snowflake and their recent IPO or yep. Amazon's Redshift. And you know, we sit on top of those platforms and uh-huh. help their t- users use those, build the technology into the platform, right? So 
you know, we're gaining from both users who love our stuff and this massive growth and adoption of these analytic platforms where tools like us really, you know, kind of power the story. So we'll certainly spend more money on marketing. You know, I promise that to our team, but you're right. You know, product-led growth is the best thing. Users loving your product. I mean, what more could you like as as an entrepreneur than to have customers who are happy with your stuff? Like, that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I wrote a book, a Remarkable Effect. There's a couple of examples similar to that in the book, like I said, with Jeff, Jeff Donors. At the end, it's about creating something that people keep talking about and that they would yeah. miss if it was gone. It's in those simple terms at the end. It's hard to do, but yeah, with the right focus and then the, yeah, understanding what your customers really, really need and want, you get there and you prove that that, that can be done. So let me see. Yeah, kind of talking about the growth story then. What do you believe are your are your limitations to growth, or but what's holding you back? Well, it, you know, kind of anytime you have fast growth, which you know which we're having, you have this complex interplay between which audience and which set of needs do you focus on. So, you know, our product and engineering team and our sales team have all kinds of ideas that they want to execute. So, which ones are going to yeah. deliver the next? the next important set of value. That's, a, that's one thing. The other is, you know, kind of a, in a software company, a SaaS company, particularly a freemium-based company, you're going to make a lot of investment ahead of the curve, right? So figuring out how much investment to seek, to grow at the right yeah, yeah. pace, that's challenge number two. And I think challenge number three is, is growing the team, right? So I got a great team. It's a combined team because, as I said before, we came together right at COVID, right? So literally, here we are nine months later. Yeah. Our, our leadership team has actually never been in the same room together. You know, everything has been done virtually. They're great and they're doing great stuff. But, you know, when you're in rapid growth, every three months, six months, you have a whole new layer of problems that happen at scale that you just didn't have six months ago. And so, you know, rapid growth is a super challenging thing for teams to do well together and even more challenging when they're never in the same place and, you know, kind of, and they come from two very different cultures and, you know, kind of, that's been an interesting thing. It's gone remarkably well, but it's a challenge, right? You know, I think that the world is never going back to, you know, kind of business people being on jets, you know, all the time. And I spent 20 years on jets, burning jet fuel, in hotels, going to see clients. And you know what? 90% of that was vanity travel, right? You just didn't need to do it. And it took this unfortunate, globally unfortunate crisis in so many ways, but it took it to allow us to recognize that, in fact, we can collaborate and we can work together in a distributed way. It's an interesting, interesting yeah. challenge. Some companies are not going to like this, but it's, it's absolutely the truth. I was just talking about the CEO yesterday. It also made a point that for every, you have calculated that for every one hour meeting he had, he had to, there was a nine hour time investment to get, to get there and get back. Yeah, like unbelievable. And if you look at it from that perspective, it's completely stupid. But okay, that's a different that's a different thing. I like yes. what you're t- talking about there, like the, the choices that you make product strategy wise, how to get funding, how much, and, and when, and the team, the team dynamics. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine when you're growing 300% revenue. Question at the end is, how do you stay at the level that you can grow that 300% without growing the team? Have you got any tactics on that? Well, we are growing the team, but you know, ultimately what will happen is that our product and engineering team will stabilize it. It's a certain size. It's not quite there yet. And our sales team will obviously grow you know, incrementally as, as our sales. We've doubled the team size since I came in March, uh-huh. but we're growing the business at 300%. So, so both are growing. What's the secret to keeping that going? Well, you know, can you ask me in five years and I'll tell you how to do it? Well, I mean, I had an interview at some point with, oh, I forgot his name. He's in my book. And he was talking about 
that when he's hiring people and and all his employees that he have, he said, you're a capital allocator. Like, what was it? Warren Buffett's uh, saying. And he's actually pushing everyone in his team. He said, here's your budget. Leverage yourself. Scale yourself. And if you can, if you can scale yourself, invest in it. Do it. Because that is cheaper than adding another you. That's That's, interesting. I like like that phrase. I'll have to think about about that. I certainly feel the pressure to allocate capital, right? Because yeah. all of our teams need resources. And, you know, that's an interesting... Well, of course, with growth of your company, growth of your team, you also get more problems, <laughs> which in many cases also then require you to hire even more people to catch up with that or to live up with that. Yeah, I mean, talking about one of the interviews I did with Radhika Dude, she's working on a movement called Radical Product, an interesting yeah. one to kind of check out by all means. What she was saying is there's a lot of people always talk about speed and go, 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 go. But she's also talking about the, the, improve, well, the importance of alignment around those teams because she said a lot of teams always go at full speed. But when, when one is going this direction and one is going the other direction, you don't get velocity. And what you want is that everybody is like going the right direction, going the same direction. And have you got What are your experiences there with your team? Well, I think that there's a couple different things, right? So I think the three key things of a, a SaaS company, of course, is you know sales and marketing, product and engineering, and right, product and engineering is a natural tension, right? So you know I always say that that if the two heads of those two groups don't kind of love each other and hate each other, then there's something wrong, right? Because product is about the idea of of anything that I can do, big ideas, right? And engineering is about the world of the possible, right? And there's a tension built in there, yeah. right? And then sales is the third piece of that because sales marketing is about the demands of the customer, right? And so, you know, putting the three things together in a world of what I like to think of as constructive conflict, you know, That's is right. really, really key, you know, kind of, I think that is probably one of the most important elements of success for a company, right? Because if you're in a big enterprise or, you know, kind of all through our culture today, we're taught to, you know, to get along with people, you know, to be cooperative. And that's great. But, you know, innovation is about conflict. It centers on conflict because innovation is the conflict between the old way of doing things and something new, right? And if you don't have a way to have conflict between these, what I think are the three central competing forces in an organization constructively, then you're going to have problems. Because I can tell you for sure, you know, we just had a conversation yesterday. We have a weekly, you know, product call where product is talking about what they're working on and everybody's discussing it. And the previous week, you know, I'd had a roadmap review with product and engineering, which we do regularly. And there's a bunch of things on the roadmap. Well, Product came back yesterday with some new ideas that they'd come up with based on some conversations with users. You can be certain the roadmap is going to change. And, you know, these forces, how they fit together, how you really understand who's my North Star, you know, so I think that's important to your philosophy from what little I know about it. You got to know who you serve. So we serve these, this collaboration of these two roles, right? This engineer and this analyst. So we know that is what we care about and prioritizing it's a constant circle of evolution. And, and that I think is the most challenging thing of growth. Exactly. Yeah, it's, that's definitely the most challenging because it's, it's so hard to say no. And yeah, one word, one phrase I heard at some point that really resonated with me is like, okay, you can say yes, but it need, what if you say hell yes? You know, then, then there's not too many at the end that, they are, that you say yes to. So then they are a no. But the North Star is a very important one. Like really understanding where you're going, where you're taking this and for who. And who. Also understand who you're not for, because that, I think, is in too many organizations a question that is not answered. We are for everybody that are at least a 1,000 people in size and insurance. Yeah, sure. But who are you not for in insur- inside, those, inside, inside that bunch? And have you sure. made that clear? Currently going through a work stream with a sales team in the, in the legal space. It's eye-opening what's coming out. Absolutely eye-opening. Just answering that basic question. So let me see. Yeah, I mean, from the learnings, you, you, you've been around for, for six, seven months right now, as we, as we do this interview. What has been the biggest obstacle that you have had to overcome in that period? How did you manage? Yeah, so, so I think that, that probably the biggest one is pulling these two teams together 
into one team that's better than the two, right? So the original vision of Agenity, as I talked about, is, is this analytics management problem space of reuse consistency of analysis, right? And when we formed the parent company now of Agenity, we formed it around this idea of what we call the analyst journey, which is the, these business people who have to solve problems every day, right? And these two things actually are very overlapping and they ultimately work together well, yeah. but they're kind of, they were a little bit two different paradigms of how we come about the problem, right? Exactly. And it's taken us a little while to get at it, but the getting at it has actually recognized that our central mission is this collaboration between the engineer and the analyst and that that those two groups working together successfully is where we ultimately went. And I'd like to think that that's an evolution of the two groups and the two sets of ideas coming together. You know, we're still six, you know, nine yeah. months into the journey. So we got a long ways to go, but maybe that you'd have to say the inability to sit down face to face. I mean, you can do a lot like this, but at the end of the day, you know, I think we all miss having a meal together, going on a hike together, you know, that 10 or 20% that comes out of being together versus all the vanity travel, that is really important. And we all miss that. We long for the time when we can do that. You know, we're just talking, you know, our team is spread between Silicon Valley and Central Europe, nine time zones for 50 people. Yeah. And, you know, kind of that breeding of it togetherness is, you know, we're, we're working on it every day. I'm thinking about it every day. And, you know, I can't wait till the day that we can travel and we get people together as well. Yeah. And I think we all, uh, we can all agree with that. I like the, uh, by the way, but I think also that, that the analyst journey and your initial phrasing of, okay, we are in the analytics space. I mean, one is sort of kind of limiting yourself because it's, it's defining how you do it where the analyst journey is much more of a, it's an evolving thing. It's like, it doesn't, it's never ending at the end. And that is, I think, a good thing to have as a software company, that you always have a stretch goal because the journey evolves, the world evolves, the challenges become different. Sure. And that's how we can move around in order to keep solving it in the right possible way. And at the moment, what you do might be the best way to do that. But in three years time, it could be that something else is needed and then you can, you can shift around. Very interesting. Let me see. I mean, from all the work that you've done so far with customers and the people that you've spoken to over Zoom, anecdotes that you've heard, what are stories that you are most proud of? You know, I think at the end of the day, it's the end user who says, I love your product. I use it every day. You know, we have users who spend five hours a day inside our tool. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it just sounds cliche, but the most basic thing is, when our head of sales comes back and said, I talked to this customer and they love this, or our product person says, look at this, we got in support, this email telling us about, you know, these things that we're doing. So, you know, to me, it's that. It is also about this intersection of sharing, right? So, you know, we do see analytics as an organic thing that evolves in a company, Absolutely. but then it's the central ability of the engineers and the analysts to work together. So whenever we see a customer where that collaboration is working, we get really super excited. We feel like, okay, we're, we're, hitting, we're hitting the vision that we have. Yeah. And in this collaboration, it's, there's so much. It's almost like one plus one equals three, right? I mean, do you see that with your customers? Yeah. When, yeah, when they absolutely. are working isolation versus together? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and they've been all sent home, right? So you know, we're working for some of the biggest enterprises on the planet and all the way down, by the way. But, you know, all their people are working at home. They're not sitting next to each other in the office. So they're figuring out how to collaborate, you know, remotely on building analytic, I'll call them pipelines. So the whole process from data to an answer, let's call that whole thing a pipeline. They're all working in pieces of this they need a way to collaborate on that. And when they're successful doing that with our technology, we're super happy about that. And they are, you know, I mean, we have a long ways to go. We're by no means done with our vision or the vision that they'll help us evolve to. But, 
you know, this growth of customers that we're getting month after month is telling us that we're doing something right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it proves, I mean, everybody would agree that if you're growing 300% a year, and that can be a small, a, a small starting point, but 300% is solid growth. I mean, I told you about my book, The Remarkable Effect. And in that book, I revealed the 10 traits of a remarkable software business. So what defines those companies that we keep talking about well, versus the ones that we don't talk about? So from your experience, you've been around quite a while. You've been around for this, in this company a little less time. But from your overall experience, what do you believe are key traits that a software company or a team needs to have in order to create, create something remarkable and stay there? Yeah, so, so it's a bunch of pieces together, right? So, so you need a big vision. You need to be able to execute on that vision. And you need to be able to adapt when your vision doesn't you know, meet your customer needs, right? So you're finding the right answer to a problem, right? It's like, you know, people think either love or hate Elon Musk, right? But, you know, his, his mission for, you know, his two largest companies, it's way out there, right? You know, we're going to go to Mars. I mean, that's a big vision, right? It is. So you need that because I think nobody gets up in the morning and says, today, I want to do something average and mediocre, right? People want to do big things, but the interesting, you know, the challenge for me, I think that I've kind of trying to evolve around is this interplay between a big vision and what people can actually achieve on a stretch goal. You know, it's a kind of a crazy story, but I often tell the story about my daughter skiing. And when she was six, you know, I grew up in the mountains and, you know, but she grew up on the East coast in the US and we had the fortune of starting to come out to Colorado where I live now, you know, so I took her skiing and it was about her fourth time up. And, you know, she was going up and she wanted to go at night. So we went up at night and, you know, I took her up in the mountain and there was only these kind of hard blue and black runs. Right. And I kind of knew it when I took her on the lift, but I thought, ah, well, we'll see how it goes. Right. Well, it was not a good experience. Right you know, she struggled down the mountain and slid down the mountain and she's screaming bloody murder at me the whole time. Right. And I thought we got to the bottom and she started to ski kind of to the bottom. Right. I thought, oh, this is it. I screwed it up. She'll never want to ski another day in her life. Right. Well, by the next day on social media, she had told all her friends about her skiing down this black run and, <laughs> you know, it in inspired her. And I think that there's this underlying lesson of or interchange between vision and challenge and having people step up to that without you know stepping on them or over you know kind of over demanding what they can do and i think that's always a challenge right in any business yeah i mean i like the, uh, the analogy and i think it's yeah it's yeah, I was thinking about what you said about people want to do big things, but maybe it is not so much that people think about do want to do big things, but they want to have challenge. And that's yeah. that's the good thing. So it's it's about making progress, about doing something new that yeah, that's different. And that's uh, I think what what is the drive of many, many people. So I like what you were, were saying there. One of the chapters in my book I'm talking about keeping the focus on the essence and, and one aspect of that is resourcefulness. Have you got any how do you say that anecdotes about how you keep your organization resourceful so that you always keep enough bandwidth to be ready for the next thing? So that's an interesting question because I think that we probably wrestle with that as much as anything, right? So, you know, kind of what I try to do with my team is not tell them how to get somewhere, but, you know, make sure we all have a shared vision of where we're going, right? Yeah. And so they know where we're going and they know what measures success on getting there. And then they're collaborating on how to do that. And it kind of bubbles up when there's something that is just, we've got to have more resource to solve this problem. We need customer success team, or we need to grow sales because we've just outgrown our existing team or, you know, our product and engineering need to go this bigger pace. So, you know, with a growth company, you're always at this how much to invest in where to invest it relative to what will accelerate growth. And it's and without getting ahead of your skis, right? So you don't want to spend so much money that you 
you know, you run out of money and you're back to your sure. investors or whatever. And they're like with an open hand. Right. So myself and our CFO, we keep a certain amount of powder dry and, you know, we're always trying to listen to our team. I'm not sure always well, but we're always trying to listen to them about what's the next key challenge to get to those objectives, right? Because if you've got the North Star right, the North Star is not going to change. And your measures of success, at least within a current, say, cycle, a year, whatever, those shouldn't change, right? The steps you take along the road, it's a, that journey is moving all over the place, right? Not all over the place, but it's moving around, right? So I think that that's the key is to recognize where is the place that have to put that powder when you need it, how much to keep back, what's going to accelerate growth. And then that all comes back to this constructive conflict, because if the engineering team just says, I need more resources, and they don't really care about the sales team and the sales team, you know, the sales team, the engineering team and the product team, they all have to recognize that there's no hitting those objectives without all three teams working together well. And that's one of the good things about the right kind of objectives, right? If a sales objective isn't related to something that the product cares about or vice versa, you, you're all off. You're, you're just, you're not going to be in the right space. Yeah. Again, it's an alignment thing again. Very well. So I recognize, of course, the reason why I'm writing it in the book is because there's, there's so many companies that struggle with that and, and the, so all these things come as a surprise and you you just feel like running behind. So I like your approach to that. Let me see time-wise. Yeah, one more question here. Based on the wisdom that you developed leading companies, what would you advise, what is the best advice that you could give to CEOs that want to scale a company also 300% or to even explore starting a company themselves? Well, I think starting a company, what I always say is it's got to be in your bones, right? So don't enter it because you think you're going to get rich. You know, do it because you really want to deliver something transformational value. And if you achieve a certain amount of resources and wealth along the way, then that's just gravy on the cake, right? Or gravy on the, you know, you know what, icing on the cake, I guess. Yep. And that's the first thing in terms of, you know, kind of that, how do you scale it 300%? You got to have a North Star. You've got to have collaboration amongst your team. And you've got to be willing to recognize that you're going to have to adjust that every three months, six months, something's going to be different because that each step in the scale presents whole different problems. And, you know, I'm not sure anybody teaches that, right? You know, you learn how to manage, you learn how to manage at some consistent level, right? You know, people don't think about managing in this 300% world. I think that that's something that I like what you're doing and that I think that it's super important for all of us who care about, you know, kind of the evolution of our, of our world is that we help innovation progress and learning how businesses can scale. It's not trivial. And so, by the way, I'm open to ideas about that because I'm learning as I go in that exercise. Yeah. Well, I would just uh, say join the tribe because these discussions are front and center. I can yes. tell you. Yes, I am joining for sure. <laughs> very good. Very good. Looking forward to this. So, yeah, where can people go to find out more about Agility and how can they connect with you to say hi? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, Agility.com, that's our website. We're very active there on LinkedIn. We have a Twitter feed. So our team is, you know, tweeting and sharing stuff, you know, all the time. Like I said, our product is a freemium product. So if you're in our space, just try it. You know, you don't have to pay us anything. You can download it and try it out. And if it's helpful, great. If it's not helpful, tell us why not. If you can, you know, we're going to try to make it better. I'm also on LinkedIn and people can reach out to me. You know, I feel like this is my fourth round in an early stage company. I feel very fortunate. I feel like the most important thing outside of helping my team succeed is helping others. You know, I had some really great advice from people who are my mentors and some of whom are still my mentors today and on our board. And so I try to help, you know, frankly, anybody who's going at this, you know, if I don't have time, I'll tell you, I'll figure out a way, but I want to help 
others on this journey. So, you know, reach out. I'm here to help. And that's why I like your tribe idea. So I will more than, you know, help if I can. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Rick, for your story, for sharing the journey of the company, for being so open about challenges that you've overcome and yeah, where you're taking the company and the wisdom that helps you to, go, to get where you are and to go beyond that. Fascinating story. Thanks. Thank you very much, Tom. And this ends my conversation with Rick. And I hope you enjoyed it. If so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Rick Hall, CEO of Agility. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.